So let's read together, shall we? Job chapter 13, we'll just read three short verses, beginning at verse 13. Be silent before me so that I may speak, and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this service. Take the words of this message. Speak to hearts through the words and speak to hearts in spite of my words. Let us hear what you would have to say to us today. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. Cause them to prosper and flourish. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you that they will be drawn to a place of repentance, that not one of them will be lost. Pray this in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Nights were the worst. Once the fires were banked and everyone had retired into their tents, a deathly stillness settled over the camp, broken only by the sound of a broken pottery shard scraping over inflamed skin that itched with a relentless torment. The rank smell from broken, oozing, Infected sores was nauseating. With unseeing eyes staring blankly into the inky darkness, time slowed to the point the night seemed interminable and despair enveloped like a heavy blanket, crushing the hope of ever again witnessing the light of morning's dawn. Sleep came only in brief snatches, and even those few moments were so fitful and plagued with horrifying nightmares that the unbearable misery of exhaustion was preferable over trying to endure the torture of those gruesome images. The name Job has become synonymous with suffering. Job was a real man that lived in a real world, that faced real problems, and fought a real devil. Job is the poster child for all the pain and misery and problems and storms and difficulties and trouble you will ever face. Job isn't remembered for his triumphs. Job is remembered for his trials. When you read through the book of Job, which is one of the oldest manuscripts in the Bible, you see the calamity that befell him. When chapter 1 of the book of Job opens, we are introduced to a wealthy man who loved God, loved his family, and was respected by his friends and neighbors. 
Verse 1 describes him as a blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil man. In verse 8, God calls him my servant, Job. As the story unfolds, the curtain is pulled back so that we can get a behind-the-scenes look and an exchange between God and the devil. God is so confident of the integrity of Job that he accepts the challenge of the devil and removes the protective hedge around Job so that he can be attacked by the evil one. Thus begins the trials of Job. And as I walk you through these events, I want you to keep in mind that Job is never made aware of the conversation between God and the devil. He was never told about the challenge that was issued. He never heard about God's confidence in him or about God's assessment of him, either before or after the trial. All Job ever knows is that one evening he goes to bed without a care in the world, and the next morning... All hell breaks loose. The first thing that happened is disaster took his fortune. While Job is still finishing his morning cup of coffee, the first messenger arrives with news of disaster. The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding and the Sabaeans attacked. They stole the livestock, killed the servants that were tending them, and I'm the only one left to tell the news. Before that servant can finish speaking, another messenger arrives out of breath and declares that fire fell from the sky, burned up all the sheep and the shepherds that were watching them, and I'm the only one who escaped. While he's still giving his report, yet another messenger runs in. The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels. They took them, killed the camel drivers, and I'm the only one who survived. In less than 24 hours, Job lost everything he had ever worked for his entire life. In less than one day, it was all gone. Disaster took his fortune. And then death touched his family. Just as Job was trying to process the news about his fortune, yet another servant shows up. His clothes are in tatters. His body is caked with dust and sweat. There are gashes on his legs. He falls at, Job, at Job's feet and chokes out, I have some terrible news. Your sons and daughters were having a party at the home of your oldest son. Right in the middle of it, a tornado set down on top of the house. The house collapsed on top of the young people. They all died. And I'm the only one who managed to get out, of, out alive. Some of you can understand the kind of shock that Job must have experienced. You know what it's like to have everything going for you and then suddenly lose it all. You know what it's like to go to the funeral home and make arrangements for your loved one and then to stand all alone at the graveside of your precious child. You know what it's like to go through the motions, but you're in a fog, you're, you're numb, you can't quite get your mind wrapped around what's really happening. You know the sound of the enemy's voice as he whispers in your ear, where is your God now? If he really loved you and if he really cared about you, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. What's the use of serving God if this is what it gets you? Disaster took his fortune. Death touched his family. That's terribly tragic, but it gets worse. 
because then disease tortured his flesh. No sooner does he return from the funeral of his children than there comes an attack against his health. His body breaks out in boils from head to toe, itchy, running, oozing sores. He scrapes his flesh with a broken shard of pottery until the skin is raw and bleeding, but is still unable to obtain any relief. He's a pathetic creature sitting in a pile of ashes, wasting away to a shell of his former self, disfigured to the point that he is almost unrecognizable. In her bitterness at what life had thrown her way and feeling helpless to do anything about her husband's condition, his wife lost all faith in him and hopelessly declared, you might as well curse God and die. There are people listening to this message today and you understand what it's like for disease to torture your flesh. There are people that are yet unable to return to worship in-house because of the illness that you fight every day. You've been to physician after physician, one specialist after another, looking for relief, but nobody can give you any answers about the cause. Nobody can prescribe anything to help. The illness has gone from bad to worse, and there's no end in sight. All you can do is lie there and groan while your body rebels. Disaster took his fortune. Death touched his family. Disease tortured his flesh. And finally, adding insult to injury, deceit turned his friends. Hearing about Job's plight, his friends, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite, came by to visit Job. When they got there, they didn't even recognize him at first. They, they began well enough they just sat down and wept with him and didn't say a word. After a while, however, they just couldn't leave well enough alone. They, they felt like they had to fix it. Instead of praying with him and comforting him and encouraging him, they criticized him. They accused him of sinning. They told him that the reason he was suffering like this is because he wasn't right with God and God was punishing him. I got to tell you, I've heard the same thing from some modern-day Job's comforters when they came upon somebody going through a tough time. See if this sounds familiar. If you just had enough faith, you could overcome this. If you'd get the sin out of your life, you would be healed. If you would exercise forgiveness, you wouldn't have this kind of problem. If you would just take authority and bind the sickness and command it to leave, you'd get the victory. You listen to this pastor for just a moment. If you haven't heard anything else up to now, would you listen to this? The next time you feel like you have to say something to fix somebody who is suffering, do everybody, including yourself, a favor and just shut up. I'm not charging extra for that today. That's a freebie. I told you earlier in the message that Job is never privy to the conversation between God and the devil. At no time, even at the end of the story, is he ever told about the challenge and about God's unshakable confidence in him. All he ever gets is the trial and the accompanying suffering. Job is bewildered. He is perplexed. 
The Bible is very definite to point out in chapter 1, verse 22, and again in chapter 2, verse 10, that in spite of all that happens to him, Job doesn't sin or blame God. At the same time, Job doesn't sit and cower in a corner. He's defensive. He's angry. He's asking questions. He's demanding answers. He's declaring his innocence. You read it. For 37 chapters, Job cries out to God, wanting to know why this trouble and hardship has come upon him. And for 37 chapters, God is silent. Disaster strikes, and God is silent. Death takes the lives of his children, and God is silent. Disease ravages his body, and God is silent. Job's wife turns her bitter anger upon him, and God is silent. Job's friends accuse him of being a phony, a hypocrite. They call upon him to repent, and God is silent. They claim to speak for God, and they tell Job it's all his fault, and God is silent. <laughs> when God finally speaks in chapter 38, he never defends or justifies the events he has allowed. He never gives any explanation. He never addresses the suffering. Even when God speaks, he remains silent about the question of why. The silence of God makes the trust of Job all the more remarkable. No matter what tragedy came his way, Job said, I'm going to trust God. In chapter 1, when his fortune was stolen and his family was killed, the Bible says in verses 20 and 21, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and cursed and screamed and railed against God. No, that's not quite the way it reads, is it? It says he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, which was a sign of grief, fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In chapter 2, when his flesh was being tortured from the disease that ravaged his body, and his wife gave up on him and told him to curse God and die, Job responded in verse 10, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? When his friends proved to be absolutely no comfort whatsoever, when God refused to respond to his pleas, when there was no end in sight to his suffering, Job's response comes in the words that we read at the beginning of this message in our text, chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. No matter what winds of adversity blew into his life, Job stayed with God. He did right when everything went wrong. He said, if I die in this ash heap, I'm still going to trust God. If I never make it out of this storm alive, I'm still going to trust him. If God never says another word to me, I'm still 
going to trust him. If the whole world turns against me, I'm still going to trust him. Even if it kills me, I'm still going to trust him. Here's what Job has to say to you who are suffering about, turn, about trusting when God is silent. First of all, he would say to you, when God is silent and you're suffering, trust in God's divine power. In chapter 19, verse 24, Job says, I want to tell you something that is so important. Somebody needs to take an iron pen and engrave it into the side of a rock. You need to pay attention to this, he says. And then in verses 25 through 27, he says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed. Yet, watch this, from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. He didn't say, I know that his Redeemer lives. He didn't say, I know that her Redeemer lives. He didn't say, I know their Redeemer lives. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that the one in whom I can put my trust is a personal Redeemer. He's the Lord, my rock and my fortress. He's my defender. He's my sword and shield. He's my shepherd. He's my present help in time of need and trouble. He's my shelter in the time of storm. He's my refuge. He's my provider. He's my deliverer. He's my strong tower into which I can run and find safety. He's my peace. He's my joy. He's my helper. He's my friend that sticks closer than a brother. Oh, aren't you glad that he is yours and you are his? Oh, and, and, and Job said, Job said, I know, I know, I am thankful today that I don't have to hope, I don't have to think, I don't have to guess, I don't have to suppose, I don't have to carry around a four-leaf clover or a rabbit's foot in my pocket. I know. This, this is the oldest Bible manuscript, but even here, thousands of years before Jesus gave his life on Calvary's cross, Job was able to look through the telescope of faith and testify, somebody is coming down the road who's going to pay the price for my sin debt. Somebody is going to redeem me back to God. There is a redeemer. I can't see him yet, but I know my redeemer lives. See, this trial didn't kill God. This storm didn't cause God to cease to exist. This suffering didn't topple him off of his throne and send him to extinction. He's alive. When Job says, my Redeemer lives, I like the way the old King James says it, my Redeemer liveth. That F, F, that part means that word, my Redeemer lives and liveth. That, that means right now with a continuous action. It means that he was alive in Job's day and he's still alive 
today. It means that he lives and never stops living. It means he's alive today and forevermore. I want to tell you when the bottom falls out and when the storm comes and when the lightning flashes and the thunder rolls, you have a redeemer that has conquered the devil. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. He's conquered the grave. You have a redeemer that sits at the right hand of the Father in the heavens and makes intercession for the saints. You have a living redeemer. If he was dead, he couldn't help you. If he was dead, he couldn't hear your prayer. If he was dead, he couldn't intervene and turn your situation around. But I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, I tell you. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Praise God. When God is silent, trust in God's divine power. And then Job would tell you, trust in God's definite purpose. In chapter, uh, chapter 23, verses 8 through 10, Job says, Behold, I go forward, and he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. Then he said, but he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now watch this. In chapter 19, Job says, I know him. But now in chapter 23, Job says, he knows me. He says, I may not always know where he is, but he always knows where I am. He knows the way that I take. And by the way, that word knows in the, in the old King James, it's no F. There's that F again, okay? <laughs> when Job says he knows, that means he knows right now, and he's going to keep on knowing. There will never be a time when he doesn't know my path. And that word know doesn't mean just intellectual information. It means personal experience. It means to be in touch, to be acquainted, to be involved. I'm telling you that this God you trust is intimately acquainted with all your ways. According to Hebrews 4 and 15, he is your high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses, one who has been tempted in all things as you are, yet without sin. He knows who you are. He knows what you are. He knows what you need. He knows the way you take. He knows your tears. He knows your pain. He knows your frustration. He knows your disappointment. He knows your fears. He knows your heartache. He not only knows, but he cares. He not only cares, but he is able. He's not only able, he's willing. Job said, he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Can I just tell you, God knows how to dig for the gold in your life. Now, here's the big difference. The devil comes at you with temptation he has designed to bring out the worst in you. God comes with trials he has designed to bring out the best in you. <laughs> you know, somebody once said, well, you know, the Lord put me through the trial in order to find out what I was made of. 
I, I got news for you, darling. He knew what you were made of before you ever went through that storm. He wanted you to know what you're made of. See, Job said right now, I'm in, I'm in the pressure cooker. I'm being hit from every side, and I don't understand why this is happening to me. But there's one thing of which I am absolutely certain, and that is I'm sure that God knows what he's doing. He knows what I need, and when this is all over, and can I just insert right here, there will come a time when this will be over. It will not last forever. When this is over, I'm going to come forth like pure gold. Somebody didn't get that, so I'm going to back up and say it again. This is not the end. It will not last forever. You will get through it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll get to the other side. And when you get there, you're going to come out like pure gold. Listen, God, God has a purpose, and he will never get detoured from his purpose. When you put your trust in him, you don't live by luck, and you don't live by happenstance. You don't live by the words on your fortune cookie or the star chart of your horoscope. Instead, you live by Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. You live by 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You live by Romans 8 and 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You live each and every day guided by the unseen providential hand of a sovereign God, and when he gets finished, you're going to come forth like pure gold because he has a purpose for for your life. When God is silent, Job said, trust in God's divine power, trust in God's definite purpose. And then finally he said, trust in God's delightful promise. He said in chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. I wish I had time to just talk about that verse a little bit more, to talk about he believes at that point what we believe is illustrated later on in the life of Jesus in the bodily resurrection of those who believe. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. See, Job wasn't so overwhelmed with the problems at hand that he forgot about the promised land. Job looked beyond the suffering. He looked past the tears. He saw a better day and a better world and a better promise. <laughs> Job said, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm not going to suffer forever. One of these days, I'm getting out of this cursed body. I'm getting out of this storm. I'm going to my new home, a place that's been prepared for me. And not for me only, but for all who love the appearing of the Lord. I'm going to see my Redeemer for myself. I'm telling you, what you're going through right now is not the end. Oh, I don't have the answers to your questions of why. But I can tell you. 
that there's so much more that awaits those who maintain their trust in the Lord, even in the midst of dark trials. There is so much more that is yet to come. The minister, Charles E. Fuller, once announced that he would be speaking this following Sunday on heaven. During that week, a beautiful letter was received from an old man who was very ill. In that letter, the man wrote, Next Sunday, you are to talk about heaven. I am interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been preparing a home for me, which will never need to be remodeled or repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and will never grow old. He wrote, termites can never undermine its foundation for they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. It is now almost completed and ready for me to enter in and abide in peace eternally without fear of ever being rejected. He went on and said, I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles. But I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey, no return coupon, and no permit for baggage. Yes, I am ready to go, and I may not be here while you are talking next Sunday, but I shall meet you there someday. You know, sometimes the devil tries to rub your nose in the ground. Can I get a witness? Does that happen to anybody? He whispers, you're a failure. He'll tell you, God has let you down. There's nothing you or anybody else can do. He'll say, he'll say I've won. Well, I'm here to encourage you today. Keep holding on. Keep trusting. The devil does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word in this world. God does. You're your, your true home, your eternal home is not here. It's waiting for you up there. Don't lose sight. Trust in God's divine power. Trust in God's definite purpose. Trust in God's delightful promise. That's how you're going to get there. I just feel like I need to press that in just a little bit longer to say to somebody, hold on, hold on, keep trusting, keep believing. It will not come when or how you want it, but God's deliverance will come. Trust him, trust him. Bow with me, please.
when I was first planning this message and, and putting it all together. I, I, I really thought I was going to end one way, but I just feel like I just need to pray over you th- this morning. Eternal Father, I'm lifting up to you now the people who are sharing with me in this prayer. The people that you're that your spirit has moved upon and has touched. I'm asking you to do in their lives what I cannot do. Take the message of this and, and, and seal it to their hearts, I pray. Lord, I especially want to pray for those who find themselves in a storm right now. I'm asking that you will give them the strength to hold on. It's so tempting and it's so easy to throw in the towel. Give them the strength and the courage to hold on. And I pray, Lord, that this storm will have a speedy end in the lives of your children. Bring deliverance to them from the storm. And I pray also, O Lord, that you'll give them the grace to make it through. Bring them through, Lord. Bring them through by your mighty hand, by the power of your spirit. Oh, Lord, help us to keep trusting you no matter what life throws at us. No matter what storms come, no matter what ills befall, to just keep trusting you. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' wondrous name. Amen. Stand with me, please. And as you're standing, I'm going to ask you to sing this as a as, as a word of faith and as a word of, 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 of confidence in what God is doing, I want you to sing with me. I'm gonna make it. He's already said that I
you're going to make it. It's not because the pastor said it. It's because the Lord said it. You know, pastor may let you down. God will never let you down. You can trust him. You're going to make it. Hang in there. Hang in there. My dad, you know, was an old country preacher. And dad, every now and then, would be preaching about that. And what he would say is he'd just say, you just got to get a bulldog grip on God. Some of you understand that, you know, because when a, when a bulldog grips, they, they, they lock down, they lock their jaws down, and it's almost impossible to shake, shake them off. And that's what you have to, you just have to get a bulldog grip on God. Keep trusting him, keep holding on to him. You're gonna make it. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for being a part of this service. Thank you for joining us online in this service. I'm really believing that through this week, The Holy Spirit is just going to keep bringing this back to you over and over again. It's going to work in your life. It's going to work in you. And you'll have confidence. You'll have the joy of the Lord.